Hi there, and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry, and my favorite drag queen is Trixie Mattel. Today I'm chatting with Scott Weiser and his journey to direct a feature film. Previously, Scott has worked as a character animator in film, video games, TV, and commercials, but for the past four years, he's been freelancing in 2D and CG as an animator, character designer, voice actor, and storyboard artist so that he can develop his own IP and focus on his dream of selling it as a feature film and then becoming the director of it. So in our chat, Scott is gonna share exactly what he's been doing to make that dream a reality, including the unique way he's been pitching his film ideas, how he makes sure he networks with the right people, and how he developed his own mentorship program to help him reach his goal. Now, on top of this, Scott also runs the Directing Animation Livecast, where he brings on a different guest from the animation industry, much like I do, every month to share their expertise and advice. And you can find that on YouTube, and I'll include the link in the description of this podcast, so make sure you check it out. And so now, without further ado, let's jump into the chat. Hi, Scott. How's it going? How are you? Thanks for coming. I'm on. doing super, yeah. Thanks for having me. Why are you doing super? <laughs> What's super? Because right all kinds of great things are happening in my career, you know. Just keep name, moving. Name twelve great things. That name one. <laughs> well, one will be that I have a studio on board to help me direct or produce and finance my original feature film. So, that would be the biggest one, and that, all twelve go underneath that. <laughs> that is uh, incredible. Congratulations! That's you're like living the dream that literally everybody wants in this industry. <laughs> you really want it though? <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm assuming yes, if you're going to do it. Otherwise, no. So yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely want to chat about that because I think that's amazing. And I think you have a really interesting way of achieving that, that may, not many people are doing as, as far as I can see, maybe more, yeah. but I'm, I'm not aware of it. So why don't we roll things back and uh, how did this journey begin for you? Why did you decide animation was a thing for you? And how did you get in to this Unique animation club. <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up doing musical theater. I was in over 35 shows growing up, and I wrote some of those shows too. And it was my dream to write, write musicals, write books, and write movies. <laughs> I don't know. As a kid, that's what I wanted to do. All, all three, you know, beyond Broadway and all those other stuff. It was just, it was very eclectic and uh, but very fun. And then it, there came a point where I thought, well, maybe I need a more practical career. So I started looking around, and my my father said, you know, you'd be good at that Pixar stuff. He didn't even know what it was called. He didn't know it was called animation. And I thought it was a terrible idea because I was like, no, that would still be art and I need to get out of art. But the more I looked at animation, the more I was like, no, I really think that's what I need to do. And uh, it was really cool to me, the idea that I could actually do stuff without music too. That, that seemed like the level of creativity I wanted to be at that was really cool visually or uh, inventive in a way. So um, how, how, sorry, I'm just curious, how old were you when you decided to stop doing musical theater and shows? And I was a musical theater major in college, so I was 21. When you decided to get into animation? Yeah. And how did you do that, do the Pixar stuff? Did you go to school for it? Did you kind of like take some online classes? Did you just- Well, I should, I should do a disclaimer. In high school, I did take this commercial art class because I was, I did draw a lot and uh, my teacher gave me this magazine that had the For the Birds on the cover it had, from Pixar, the For the Birds. Uh, I think that's what it's called. That's the short film. Oh. And I remember looking at that and then he had a piece of software called, I don't even know what it was called. <laughs> 3D Studio and, Max. 
No, no, Pharrell, it's older than that. Pharrell draw. No, it was is CG. It could have been Cinema 4D. Cinema 4D. One but of like those. a very old version of it. And he gave me the whole book and I went home and read the whole book. And then I made this little animated film about a little um, like rocket that was inside of a lamp. And then he kind of jumps out of the lamp and slides down the lamp and then goes out the window. <laughs> okay. So I actually did do animation. And in growing up, there was this 3D movie maker that my cousin got into and he's like, hey, look, we could cheat. We can like build new sets on top of the sets and and make these videos. And and it, he he lost his enthusiasm really quick. And I ended up taking the CD home and and making all these 3D movies with 3D movie makers. So I guess there is a bit of um, <laughs> there is a bit of animation kind yeah, of layered cool. in there. But yeah. So then how did you how did you get your first job in animation? What like did you go to school and train? Did you do it on your own? Like how did you how did you up your skills from high school? So I created a degree after musical theater, which I did about a minor of classes in, in musical theater. And then after that, I took three minors, three like art, English, and communication, and I combined them into one uh, degree. It was the Bachelor's of Integrated Studies. And just our local university here does that. It's, it's really amazing. And for that, I did a short film called Creative Hat that is hidden. I don't show it to anybody anymore. <laughs> Uh, just because it wasn't very high quality. It won a national award even. And I did some like live action video. Not very high quality, wins a national award. Well, there were two things. There were two, because it was for this news. It's the National Broadcasting Society. And so there were two films. I was against another one. Gotcha. And I've seen the other film and like, of course I blew that one out of the water. But (laughs) then I showed it to like a former Disney guy. And he's like, yeah, you'll do amazing things one day. And he suggested that I that I do animation mentor, the online animation school. Uh, and that was before there were a bunch of other options like Anim School, I'm very impressed with, I'm good friends with them. They've asked me to be on, actually to run the school at one point and then to, <laughs> like they've asked me to come and be a part of what they're doing, but my other priorities kind of have- Wait, so Anim me. School was like, hey Scott, can you come and take over please? <laughs> And you're like, nah, no, no, thanks. Like, well, I'm like, I've got all this stuff going. Like, I, I think I was doing layers at the time, my short film. And of course, my dream was for layers to to find the producer that helps me do a feature film. So I was like, no, I really need to focus on this, this directing stuff I'm doing. And I had plenty of freelance at the time. So, yeah, but we're skipping around. That's, that's yeah, skipping so, forward. Okay, so <laughs> high school, short film, national award. Animation Graduate mentor. from college, animation mentor. That took 18 months. Okay. Um, right before that, I had our first, we had our first child. Like three days before animation mentor starts. <laughs> oh my goodness. And I had a full-time job in graphic design because the whole time I was also le- learning graphic design and working in that. Because I thought it would be the perfect way to learn for animation, I guess. And so I had this full-time graphic design job. And so I would go work at that full-time and then I'd come home and I'd do school all night for 18 months. And... Like we paid, we paid off the whole degree by the end of that 18 months too. Like we were really disciplined with money and it was hard. It was a hard 18 months. Even your, even your newborn was working at that point to help. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. He's screaming and crying a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So animation mentor. And then, so you, you specialize in CG, obviously. Yeah. And character animation. And then right after that, I got a job at Rhythm and Hughes. Okay. That was my like first right animation out of, job. Right out of Animation Mentor? Like they were yeah, like, I was blown away. 
So what what blew them away about your work? Because like so many people do animation mentor, right? And some people, you know, get jobs right away. Some people don't. What was uh, the thing that made you stand out? I really don't know. <laughs> they didn't tell me. I just get this phone call one day and they're like, we are looking for interns on Alvin and the Chipmunks 3. Will you join us? I said, yeah. <laughs> and I came and joined them on Alvin and the Chipmunks 3. It was crazy. I think I made a video for it or something. Well, maybe that was a real effects job though. When did I make the video? <laughs> it was for the real effects job, which is another story. That's after, um, after Rhythm and Hughes. But Rhythm and Hughes was a great experience. We went there, we were interns for a month. We did, it was kind of a confusing time and I don't know if I wanna to go too far in it, into it, but I, I think it's probably useful for people to hear, but we had 10 interns and we all did the same shot. And it was a shot that had already been animated for the movie. and. It was really interesting because the way they treated me was like, I was the one that was questionable. Like I, I maybe wasn't quite good enough, you know? <laughs> Why did you get that vibe? Like, um, well, once they, once they let us all in as full-time animators, they actually took me aside and they said, you're a special case because you really need to improve a lot. So we've put you in this room with all these advanced animators where all the other animators were put in rooms together but I was put in a room with advanced animators. And uh, that was one of the best things could, that could have ever ha have happened to me. Because so, the guy behind me was like the fastest animator on the movie and he was giving me all kinds of tips and tricks and, and he was just amazing. So we, I mean, you're a special case because you were on like the cusp of not making it or you're a special yeah. case because we oh, see you oh, as but, having potential. That's well, kind that's, of scary. Well, they, they told me it was because I needed to improve. But then we went and screened all of our shorts before the whole company and mine's the one that got the laugh it got a huge laugh nice so the acting choice was really good so i think my polish and my my body mechanics and that sort of thing just could have used work i think i could have been a bit more open to feedback do you think your musical to, uh theater and show production stuff helps in your oh yeah storytelling? yeah yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it absolutely does although i had to learn how to hold back so stage acting is like Ooh, look at me i'm huge you know, I fill the whole space with my personality. And then, uh, you know, animation or screen acting is more like, let's tone it back. Let's do things a little bit more small and, and restrained. <laughs> I'm just curious, um, you know, it was 18 months you're taking Animation Mentor, you just had a newborn, you're working full time. Did you quit your design job to when you got this internship? For oh month? yeah, yeah, because it was, it was the a full-time internship, internship. It was paid. Oh wow, okay. Oh, it I wasn't. It wasn't too much though. It sounds like an though. extremely stressful time where like- No, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't extremely well paid. It was just kind of well paid, but they actually paid for our hotel and the food. And so everything was provided for the, I think the flight out there was provided for. So- Oh, nice. We got, they took us out to some fancy lunches and stuff. It was fun. It was, it was really fun. How did, was the decision for you to take that internship really easy or was it like really tough because you had to change your life so drastically again in such a short period of time? Always easy. I was foolish and <laughs> I knew what I wanted, right? I wanted to go to California and uh, be an yes. <laughs> So yeah, it was very easy. Dang. Um, oh, okay. You're working on Alvin and the Chipmunks. Uh, you get put in the room with all the best animators. You're like soaking up <laughs> bunch. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did that go? <laughs> I don't know. What? That went well. Another cool thing that happened was like, actually, there was one of the best animators in the company. Uh, the guy who supervised us during the internship, he was filming this guy. And he's like, you're just not, he was like skipping. He was trying to do a Mickey Mouse skip. 
He said, he's just, he's just not good enough. It's not good enough. He said, Scott, how about you try it? <laughs> I tried, he's like, that's great. You know? So several, there are several pieces of animation that I inspired in the movie too, that I will never get credit for, but that was kind of fun. But you're building report and you're doing really great. That's actually a really cool story. Yeah. Um, and, and when you see those scenes are you're like, Hey guys, this is, this is the scene that, that I did. Yeah. <laughs> when, when my family and I went and watched it in theaters, we, I kept telling them I, I did this on that part. And then I did this on that part. And so while fun. you were working here the whole time, were you just thinking like, how do I get to the top and direct a feature film now that I'm working on <laughs> a feature film? Yep. That was my, that was my plan. So my plan was I'm going to break into the industry get to Pixar within 10 years, I'll direct a feature film. Did you get to Pixar? No. <laughs> is it 10 years later? It is 10 years later. And look at you, you're directing a feature. But okay, so obviously <laughs> there's a huge gap in between. And so you, you this is your, like your first job. You're working there for a couple of years, but you've, you transitioned to fully freelance. So you decided to get out of kind of the established industry and do things on your own terms. Why did you end up moving? Well, you wanted to touch on the unemployment period, right? First. Sure. Yeah. I mean, let's let's talk about that. I didn't. I thought maybe that was in the same. No, that's right after Elvin three. So, okay. so Rhythm and Hughes was already starting to fall into a bankruptcy, and then a year later they were bankrupt. They went bankrupt right before they received the Oscar for the effects on Life of Pi. That was just it was just a weird thing, and they people started to realize there's something wrong with the industry. Um, with how money is being used within the industry. And so I don't know if you remember, but everybody's profile pictures in animation turned green. We were all green screens on, on Facebook for like a month. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that was part of the, cause I was one of the first rounds of interns that didn't actually stay on the stu at the studio. The rest of them, like one of the guys that I was on my team, he's one of the supervising animators at Disney. Another person that was, not far behind him is, is also at Disney and and she has one of their their shorts they're going to release on Disney Plus. She has one coming out. So yeah, it's uh, it was pretty interesting that we were all laid off, all the interns and then several other people, they just kind of had these waves of layoffs. And uh, I thought I thought it would it would happen quickly. Like I thought I'd find a job quickly. And I actually did re interview at Real Effects and they interviewed only three people. And they, they really liked my actings, what they said about my reel. And then they liked the other two for obvious reasons I'll tell you in a second. So I'm the one they didn't take, right? And then one of the guys who they took ends up at Disney within the oh. year. And the other guy ended up at Pixar within the year. And he directed one of the new popcorn shorts that is on uh, Disney Plus now. So, you know, it's like, wait, wait, this is where I was sitting. And then I spend like 18 months unemployed. It was very, very frustrating period. And I was, I was always like, I would get an interview at the studio and then I wouldn't be considered. And then, or I would be considered, but then they wouldn't hire me. And I had other studios that were like, yeah, maybe in the future we'll hire you. And it, uh, it just didn't turn out as, long, as fast as I would have hoped, right? Because 18 yeah. months. But I also treated that 18 months like a full-time job. Gotcha. So I was always animating. I was always networking. I was always doing something. Um, and then about a year into it, I did get so tired of animating that I created a book that was called Invisi and the Misfit Supers. And it was my first pitch. It's more of a pitch for like a series. And I don't really push it forward anymore. And maybe someday I'll, I'll resurrect it. And can, we, can we back up a bit? Because so you're, you're unemployed uh -huh. for... 
18 months. Uh-huh. <laughs> First of all, I'm curious, do you have any inside scoop on why the company went bankrupt? You said because of the way money is managed. I don't know if you can share anything. Well, yeah, the, the effects companies were at the, at the whim of, of the studios. And the studios were trying to get the lowest price possible. And they were kind of, they, I'm sure they were taking quality into account. But a studio in like California, El Segundo, California, was competing with studios that were overseas and stuff. And so that was constantly driving the cost down while the quality of work was going up. And so it was just, it was just becoming very difficult for an effects company to survive. Sure. Now, I think they figured out, they've balanced things out again, hopefully. Um, Fingers crossed. <laughs> I'm part of the strategy, send it to Vancouver. Vancouver subsidizes some of the work. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So, so, so those 18 months, like how are you, so you're, you're treating your time off like a full-time job, but how are you making ends meet at the same time? Oh, we lived with my in-laws. <laughs> so you have to you have to move back in with your in-laws. Yeah. How uh, how is in in for the first time with our in-laws? We lived on our own before that. Yeah. So like I'm because like I've been through my own share of like moving around and stuff since I've decided to take this path, and it's mm-hmm. stressful and it sucks and there's like hard mm-hmm. decisions that have to be made and tough decisions. Oh yeah. How did it? Like, how are you feeling when you? made the choice that look we can't live on our own anymore we have to we have to we have to move in with our in-laws well that choice happened very quickly because living in el segundo on what i was making as an animator was not it was not feasible yeah like we were losing money and my wife told me about it and i was like oh we'll just figure it out we'll figure it out it'll be fine you know because i'm like this optimist your wife is like hey hey we have we have no money and you're like it's okay yeah (laughs) Yeah. And so it was like within a month and a half of being laid off there. We thought, okay, we can make it back to California. So we're going to put all of our stuff in storage in California. And then we'll go and stay with her her parents until we are able to, um, you know, find another job. And then we'll go back to California and our stuff's already there. So we're good. So you didn't consider not... You didn't. You always said, "I'm going to be in the animation industry from this point on." Like, yeah, and, uh, and in California. And in California, so mm-hmm. it was like a, it was there was like no exit strategy. There was no plan B. There wasn't like, okay, now I have to get a, uh, as some people call, it, like a real job. Yeah, that wasn't an option. I was going to do the dream. Nice. <laughs> what was why? Why is that dream so strong for you? To go through all these challenges. Um. Well, now I I realize it's because I love telling stories. Yeah, and the directing thing was has always been at the top of the list, and I actually did have a, a professional I really expect respected in the industry who told me not to tell anybody about that. It's like don't tell anybody you want to direct because they'll roll your eyes, their eyes at you, and they'll be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, There's I've, no way I've make noticed it. that a little bit. Why? Why is that? Do you think is it because like everybody says they want to direct and the it's like um, such a coveted job that it's hard to get there. Yeah, right. It's it's really hard. It takes a level of discipline that uh, a lot of people don't think that you would have, I guess. Uh, it's also, I think some people think it's a little arrogant to say, you know, someday I'm gonna direct a feature film, but it's like everybody in the industry says that. Yeah. So at that D- point. Now that you're closer to this path is, um, so I'm obviously not directing a feature film and I have some awareness, I hope that saying like, I wanna direct actually means something totally different than when I fantasize. 
directing is. Do they match up for you? Like the idea of directing a feature film and telling your own story and actually like what the day-to-day of what a director actually needs to do, are they kind of the same for you? Or like, is there a big difference that you've discovered along this path? Yeah, there's a big difference. It's, it's one of those things that you're like, life will be complete when I'm doing this thing that I think right. I've made to do. And, and then as on your way, you start, you start to, to realize like, oh, there, there's all these things that maybe I don't want to do. And I think that's why a lot of people give up, which is another one of the reason why people roll their eyes. Cause they'll be like, yeah, we'll see, you know, <laughs> we'll see if you, that's really what you're going to do. Yeah. What are some of those things that uh, you think people give up for those reasons? Um, well, I, I have been a creative director in a company and managing people is way different than cr- doing the creative work yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I know, I know of animators who I really respect and they're so talented in the industry that when given the opportunity to direct and they started to see what it was like to direct, they said, mm, no, I'd rather stay and be an animator. And I think that's completely fine. I think people should be allowed to do that, right? You should be allowed to let your dream change. It was, mine has, right? I'm not at Pixar. And uh, you have to be able to let your dream like kind of inform you and life inform you like a co-creator in this thing, right? You don't have 100% control over what's gonna happen in your life. And, but sometimes you have more control than you realize. So you have to, you have to kind of find that balance and, and journey along the path. I think I strayed from the question. <laughs> no, it's fine. we both strayed from what we were talking about before. No, it's interesting to me because like my goals have, have changed a lot, uh, especially in the last couple of years. And it's, it's like, there's this thing in my mind that I fantasize about that if I got this or achieved this thing, then I would be, I would be Terry complete, you know, like, but yeah. then when you get, well, at least in my experience, when I get closer to that and I realize what it actually takes, like what you're saying, I'm like, maybe this isn't exactly what I want. Maybe I need to like, figure out what I actually want and why I thought I wanted this and what's behind me wanting this. And then when I did that, I discovered it was, that's why I ended up changing careers. It was a totally different path for me. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think that's totally fair. And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. Cause like, I would love to direct as well, but I don't really have any experience directing. <laughs> um, and I, I won't know what it's like until I get closer to that stage like you are now. So it's, yeah. It's interesting. Anyways, we were talking, sorry, I don't know if you had- Well, any- then I think I, just on that point again, Aesop's fables are amazing. And I just did a deep study of um, of his fables recently. And there is a fable and I think it's called, Bleh! I don't remember the name of it, but it's about this this bird that's in a cage. Yeah. Maybe I need to study them deeper. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, some of them I studied deeply and some of them I just read. But this one, he's like, this bird is in a cage. I don't know if it's male or female, it's just a bird. And the bird is looking outside at all the birds who are out in the wild and saying, oh, life would be so much better if I were out there and free. And then the bird gets freed and goes out there in the wild and discovers that there are all these difficulties of living in the wild and ends up dying. Because, <laughs> because and, and wishing like, oh, I wish I'd stayed in my cage where I had this, this master who loved me and I had all this, this food provided for me and I could just kind of sit and dream and stuff. And, uh, but you just don't know what's on the other side of the, the, those bars or that cage, you know? Yeah. I feel like saying the grass is always greener. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Response to that. No, but that's totally true. And, and like, uh, I, I think 
I don't know. I think that's definitely true. And I also think that if you dip your toes in slowly over time and realize that this is the thing for you, then then go for it at the same time. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of been my journey is dip it in slowly at a time. So at the end of that eight, two months of unemployment, we finally yes. did my wife, my wife who has this thing called like the security gland. Okay. <laughs> it's, it, it's like this, this gland that's like, if things aren't financially perfect, she needs me to, to provide <laughs> is what she says. So she, uh, she, she's always wanted to be a stay at home mom. And I know that other other women choose choose careers and that sort of thing. So, I I was committed to help her do that if I could. And uh, I mean, I've done everything I could to do it. And so she's like, okay, let's set a date. And it was 18 months from the time I was unemployed. That if you haven't gotten your dream job at the Dis or well Disney Toon Studios was considering me, but if you haven't gotten your uh, dream job at one of these companies, you'll you'll just find a job. Okay. And uh, at that point, I, I had a job possibility at EA Games for an animator there. And then I had this dinky graphic design job at the local university where I went to school. And uh, lo and behold, the one I got was the one at the university. And it was a student job and it was like 10 bucks an hour. And <laughs> I, uh, when I got into the job, I had so much experience in graphic design as a professional that they thought, okay, we have like a half a year's work or four months of work for, for Scott. And we'll have him do that for four months and then we'll see. And I did that work in a month. <laughs> and oh, no. yeah, and it was higher quality than they expected. They're like, this is amazing. You know, keep keep working for us, Scott. This so- It's amazing, you're fired. The month, this four months are over. <laughs> no, the, the store director was just a very visionary man. I still like, my heart just swells up when I think about it. His name's Tim Eck. <laughs> Tim Eck, yeah. And he uh, he came to me and said, okay, now I want you to do something for your portfolio. I said, well, Tim, you know my portfolio is animation. Like, I want to do animation. He's like, yeah, just whatever you want to do, do, do that, as long as it helps the store. Like, just pitch it to me and I'll, I'll tell you yay or nay. So <laughs> I got this idea of this little creature called the imposter, and he would haunt the campus store. And something that's different about the Weber State campus stores is actually owned and operated by the university. And the, the campus store is actually creating all these endowments that actually helps the students more than they realize. But students have this, this backwards way of thinking. They think that the store is against them. And they think that the store is just there to make a ton of money. It's like, no, no, the store, it's actually, I can't throw who, who's to, to blame for the books, but it's often the ones who tell their students, <laughs> don't go to the bookstore. <laughs> They're actually to blame because they're the ones who choose the books according to deals with the publishers to get them in the, in the store. Anyway, we had all this, this like misconceptions we had to clear away with these videos that I would create. And so I spent a month like designing and, and modeling and rigging that character. And then I spent like a week putting the whole video together and we released it and they liked the video. Um, so I got to do another one. And the next one was called, oh, the next one was a music video where uh, we just tried to go wild and do like the, the kind of viral stuff. And actually my buddy who sat behind me on Alvin three thought, he's like, this is gonna go viral. It didn't, but the reason it didn't cause it is because it had that commercial bend to it, right? But it was fun, it was a blast. It was a com combination of live action and CG animation and my first bit of hand-drawn animation. And it was just a whiteboard animation cause I had done a whiteboard video for them too. And uh, it, was, it was just a blast. And then the next, and then I did several others. And one of them was like hand-drawn 
another one was actually for this building I'm in now, this co-working space where I chased this, I was Charlie Chaplin, I chased this little doll around the city. And once I caught it, this clock in the doll's stomach started spinning and took me forward into time. And then the building transformed into this new beautiful building that, I, that I'm in now. And that's quite, that's quite the adventure. Yeah, it was awesome. And then I created another one. And then that, the other one was supposed to be a full, like fully color film. And I just didn't have the time and the budget. And I was about to get a job up in Vancouver working in animation as a CG animator again. So I actually scrapped the story I had and did it like as a shorter video, just kind of hand-drawn, but it was still a rewarding project. And all of the good ideas from that eventually became layers, my short film. So gotcha. yeah, not so consciously, this, subconsciously. So this was your entry back into the industry and then you took that CG job in Vancouver? Yes. And that was on Barbie Spy Squad. Very nice, very which nice. I almost, I almost turned them down because I had this conceited view of Barbie. <laughs> But I'm glad I did that. You're supposed to. You're supposed to take a job in animation. No, turn I know. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. So okay. So so that's your entry. But back. I didn't turn it down. I I, I took the job, and yeah. it was it was one of my favorite teams I've ever worked with. Oh, nice. Like the animation director was Even if you, amazing. If you're not a super fan of the property. You can still have a great team to work with. And I ended up being a bigger fan of the property. Like, it was did fun. It, it was fun. So you said during those 18 months that you were unemployed, you were networking, you were animating, et cetera. Did that pay off in getting these jobs? <laughs> and every year I went to CT Next too. So yeah. I've been to CT Next for 10 years. This would have been the 11th, but it was online. Yeah. And I was still a big part of it, but I, I wasn't attending it. Um, so your question is, is the skills from... The unemployment. You were, working, you were like, quote, unquote, I guess, working full time while you were unemployed on your. You know, funny thing. The thing that got me that job up in Vancouver was one of the the first the person I drove down to my CTNX with my first CTNX with. He was the one who helped me get that job. So it sounds like to me you're constantly making connections and then maintaining these relationships so that if something comes up. Well, and it's not even so that something comes up for him and I like. We actually have traded jobs a lot as we've gone along. So like I'll have a job and I, I need to move to a different company. So I'm like, hey, do you want this job? And so he takes my place at that company. Or there was another one where I interviewed at Disney, Disney Interactive on the Disney Infinity Project. And because I interviewed before him, I had tons of ideas of how he could do better in the interview than me. And he and the other, the other friend I gave advice to, they both got the job <laughs> and I didn't get it. Um, and so, and then actually once I moved up to Vancouver, it had been my dream to work at Moonbot Studios down in Louisiana. Like I, that was part of all the, all the videos I made at Weber State. I would send them to them saying, look, look, I can create the kind of stuff you create too. You know? <laughs> and they're like, we love it. Keep sending us more. So anyway, I knew, and I had this, this feeling like deep inside me that if I moved up to Vancouver, Moonbot would offer me a job and they did <laughs> within a month of well, me moving up there. So did you move back down and go with no, that? No, no. My, my buddy's like, would you be upset if you're not going to take that if I apply for it? I said, I love how Dang. you have this pact with your friends, like <laughs> where it's like, if you don't get this job, I'm going to get it. And if I leave, you can have it. And if you leave, I'll have it. It's like, <laughs> you have like yeah. a co-op going on. <laughs> it's kind of happened organically. It, it wasn't a pact from the beginning. It just kind of has happened. But Fair. yeah, I was so like, yeah, I'll recommend you. And he got the job down there. Nice. That's good. And, uh, and, and then I actually nearly hired him back in 
in July. So it's <laughs> kind like of a chart behind you with like faces and pins and whatever. Like, um, which, so, tell which, me, so tell me, so now you're working in the industry, but then you decide to, to get out of it. Why? And go freelance. Tell me mm-hmm. about the transition and the decision there. Okay. So the decision there was because I, so my last little bit there at Weber State, I wrote, illustrated and kickstarted the book Vanishing Inc. And my goal was to pitch that at a studio as a, as a feature film, right? I was like, I don't know how that's going to happen, but I'm going to make that happen. <laughs> you know? and, I actually uh, want to talk about that because, okay, so you're, at least from my point of view, your strategy is to become a director. And you're mm-hmm. like, to become a director, I need to prove that I can uh, write something that has a creative vision and is story driven, et cetera. And yeah. the way you did that. And visually develop. So there and are visually develop throughout it. Yeah. Right. So you're, you're doing the story, uh, the direction and the artist, artistry. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, you're like, I'm going to do this anyways. So I might as well get paid to do it. So I'm going to do a Kickstarter. Yeah. So, ha- so like, why wouldn't you just do it on your own? Or did you, like, t- tell me why you decided to do a Kickstarter and how did you, cause it got quite a bit of money and a whole bunch of backers behind it. Yeah, and I've noticed you've done a few more since and they've, you've got like double the money and double the backers and whatever, maybe not double the money, but. Um, no, the money has actually gone down, but the profits stayed the same. Right. <laughs> so I'll, ha- I'll have to explain that later. But so why, <laughs> why did you decide to go the Kickstarter route? The reason I start, decided to go to the Kickstarter route is because one of the guys I met during my unemployment, um, he was this entrepreneur. And so I went and just met him and talked to him. And, and he, he had done little things along the way to like, like he actually bought my website and hosted it for free for the first like three years that my website was up. Nice guy. Um, yeah, he was really heavily encouraging. Like he still thinks that Misfit Supers is my best property and I should still keep pitching it, which you might be right, who knows? But... <laughs> But uh, yeah, so how does this relate to the Kickstarter that you just started? You decided to start. Oh, I helped him. I think I helped him with a this this product. They were trying to get on Shark Tank, and I helped him with a video for that. I think. And then he was going to. He was thinking about helping them do a Kickstarter, hmm. and uh, I was like, "Yeah, I would like to do one too." So, and and I promised him like half of the profit <laughs> it's like so after i buy the books and everything half of whatever's left over will go to you why though was he just for fun i was dumb <laughs> wait, wait so you're like i'm gonna i'm gonna write this and book. i knew he knew how to make money like i knew he had the marketing know-how okay so he helped you he helped you market the kickstarter he did yeah okay there we go and at the same time he started like he was doing all these experiments with kickstarter and he had this new business partner anyway they ended up creating this this company that helps kickstarters raise much more money than they ever would hmm. otherwise but so that was did, after that was after our kickstarter <laughs> too bad <laughs> so how did you get your kickstarter funded with so many people behind it like i feel like if i were to start a kickstarter right now and be like hey guys i'm writing this book etc i might get like 20 people versus like hundreds yeah i sold at least half of those in person gotcha so like <laughs> so i went to person to person and i was like would you like to buy this book? This is the book I'm writing. Would you like to buy it? And if they did, I'd say, okay, go to Kickstarter and buy it. Cool. How did you? And then a big percentage of those said, like said they would and didn't. And, um, and then there was some marketing behind it. And obviously my friend helped market it. 
And that's Are you talking like Google ads or like Facebook ads or something? We did do some Facebook ads. They weren't very uh, profitable. Yeah. Doing a book through Facebook ads is really challenging. I've done it. I've done it on Vanishing and I tried it a little bit on Cirque du Solitude because I worked with Funded Today actually. Yeah. So after leaving the industry, because, okay, we really got off, off the rails. Who knows we? what we're talking about right now? Yeah, I know, I know. So when I was at Rainmaker in Vancouver, right when I got the books, they said, we want pitches. <laughs> so I'm like, I have a pitch. Here you go. And it's a book, look. And you can flip through it, you can read it. There's illustrations, you know. Yeah. And I have all these positive reviews. I even printed did, out the reviews for them. Did you work with an editor as well? Or is this like a... I did. Um, that friend of mine, because he's so well-connected, he's like this really busy mind. And he's always like multitasking and everything. So he's like, I found you an editor. <laughs> she's going to do it for free. And I was like, what? What? Is she any and good she, if she's doing it for free? Well, she was kind of trying to build her editing business, right? Gotcha. Okay. And she was teaching editing. And so she did mine for free. And then she used it as an example for her students. Like she showed my awful manuscript and how she helped fix it. <laughs> and, you know, so it was, it was kind of a win-win for us. Because nice. we are both kind of rising together. Okay, so let me let me backtrack. You're working. You decide that um, you're not close enough to your directing path, so you want to create a pitch. You do that by creating a book, and mm -hmm. then right when the book is published, your company that you're working for is asking for pitches. Yeah. And so you give it to them. And I pitched it. So you pitched it, and then what? Yeah, and then um, they said, "We'll get back to you." Okay. <laughs> and. But it, it went well. I thought it went well. And then I, I actually left that studio and went to work at another studio in Vancouver because I had to have a year contract for my son to get in school. They wouldn't let us in school in Vancouver without a year contract. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so I couldn't stay with Rainmaker like I wanted to because they only did six-month contracts. <sighs> and I loved it there, which so sad. Dang. So I went to Bardell. And when I was at Bardell, I did get an email from them of their their analysis of the film, like what they thought. And it was interesting because I could actually tell who in the room wrote, wrote which paragraph. <laughs> and the one who was their, their VP of creative, so she was over the creative, like getting the creative things to happen. Uh, her name was Fonda Snyder and she wanted to be my agent privately, like outside of Rainmaker. She said, huh. I'd like to work with you in the future. So that was cool. But obviously, it didn't become the film. So I also pitched to Bardell. Yeah. <laughs> I won't tell about that story. Um, hey. I, I pitched at another company that I just happened to run into this other guy who had just purchased an effects company. I pitched at his company. And, and actually, his whole staff was very excited about Vanishing Inc. But he gave it to a reader. And the reader's job is to convince the producer why it's a bad idea financially to do the film. And so... He obviously gave the, the book a bad review, and so I didn't end up doing that film. And then Braun was the last studio I was at up in Vancouver, and they wanted me to pitch as well. And I actually pitched that one, and I also pitched Cirque du Solitude at the same time. So I was like, I have two ideas. And how do, this you, was how do these pitches go? Like, you're like, hey, I have this book. Go read it. Or like... <laughs> well, you have to, like, give an analysis of the story. Like, you have to say, this is how, like... a a very quick version of what the story looks like. And right. these are the cool moments that are, I hope are in the film. And this is the kind of artwork that you'd expect. Like here's a little bit of development of the artwork and that sort of thing. Yeah, but usually studios don't take pitches from outside sources. Sources. Right. So, 
all of these pictures, most of these pictures came from working there in the studio. Okay, so you have like a little presentation made, you've put all the artwork and some slides, mm -hmm. you have the book with you, you have some good reviews about it, you have this agent behind the scenes, mm -hmm. um, and you have, sounds like a lot of connections. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, uh, I just lost my train of thought. I had a big question to ask and I just, <laughs> I forgot it. Um, so, okay. Well, I, I can finish that film, that story, then you can think of another question. Sure. So I pitch it to the director and the producer on Henchman, the film I was working on. And I actually ended up running into the producer like a week later on the transit there, the, the SkyTrain there in Vancouver. And he's like, hey, hey, hey. And he starts talking to me and he's like, okay, so here's the deal. We already have like tons and tons of properties that are at this level that, that have this level of quality. And we like the ideas just as much as this one. And so for you to give us this and we would pay you like a dollar for it, because you you're not going to make any money um, until it goes, it gets greenlit, right? It would mean that it would be tied up with us and you wouldn't be able to pitch it anywhere else. So we don't want to take your pitch. <laughs> but okay. he said, you're so good at this, you need to keep doing it. And I thought with how hard I'm working in the animation industry, I just can't do that. So I went back to the guy, the Kickstarter guy, and I said, what would you think of me creating your video and page design division? So I'll help you build a part of your company and then I will be able to make enough money to focus on my stuff too. And so by hiring a bunch of people to do the work, then I could be able to focus more on my creative stuff. And he loved the idea. So I left the industry <laughs> and I started as their creative director there at the company. Um, it was a very difficult company to work for because of the type of clients that are doing Kickstarters. Like they're very scrappy and they want, they want big success for a little bit of work, right? And so it, it was really difficult managing customer expectations. And it was very difficult to build a creative team inside of that really kind of, sometimes it was a toxic structure. Sometimes it was, it was fun and enjoyable. But you want like a creative team to kind of be, you know, uh, insulated from that. So, you know, I learned a ton from that. And, and the sad thing to me was while I was working there, I didn't have enough time to develop the things like I wanted them to develop them. And uh, so once I had built that and gained the skills I needed to go freelance and to actually be really successful in freelance, then that's when I moved to freelance. Do you have a bunch of clients lined up for freelance? No, I didn't. That was a downright miracle. Okay. <laughs> like the guy I'd hired to take. So I, I had a video division and a page design division because you have a video on Kickstarter and a page, right? And those are two different skill sets. So the guy I had hired and trained to take my place on the video page design division he happened to run into this person who was looking for work that day. I told him I was going to leave and I had work that night. That's crazy. He's like, it never, it never works out that way. Like it was, it was miraculous. It was <laughs> call it what you will. If you call it the universe, call it God, it was miracle. You know, it was, it was remarkable. So, and they're still my biggest client till today. Gotcha. So you had been... a lot of, I couldn't have survived with just them as a client, but yeah. Yeah. So you've been free... enough time. 
you've been freelance since, and that's also allowed you to focus on this uh, directing strategy as well. Yeah, yeah. Is is writing a book a common strategy to direct a feature film? It's not. So what is the what is the average? The people I've seen do that pitch, are Bill Joyce, but he was already like a big published author, illustrator. Yeah. So William William Joyce, and um, Hayao Miyazaki when he wanted to get his uh, he wanted to direct a feature film, but they didn't want to do anything that didn't have a manga attached to it. So he wrote the manga of Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind, and that's how they got that greenlit because it was so popular. Um, and then I have seen a lot of people in animation try to do graphic novels. And so I, don't, the- I don't know that that's the best approach. And I actually, the current, my, my third book that is kind of blurred out on my website, it, because uh, I don't want to reveal what it is quite yet, it has a publisher considering it. And this publisher also owns an animation studio, coincidentally, <laughs> or maybe non-coincidentally, but um, I think it's my last book. No, that's here in, uh, in Utah. Okay. I think it's my last book. I don't know that it's the best way to sell a feature film. So what is the best way to sell? Because you've mentioned graphic novels, you've mentioned not, uh, books. Is it like you write a script, you get some art, and then you put it together? Um, so the current one that I have that I, I told you that Steamroller Studios is on board to help me produce and finance. All I had for, what I had for that one, I wouldn't say all because it was a ton of work. I actually have the opening musical number of the film. I wrote it. I, you know, the composer and I like got it sounding amazing. I'm actually, some of the singing voices in it. We got a singer into who performed me, with me back in my musical theater days. Uh, to sing the, the lead role. And then I storyboarded the whole thing. So I have the first five minutes of the film in an animatic form. And then I have a very detailed outline of what the film will be. I haven't written a script yet. I normally would write the script first, but there are so many, so much will happen in the music. And so much of that depends on the lyrics. So, so your, I haven't from actually- all your experience from pitching and I guess people asking you questions and seeing other people pitch, you decided the best route was to, I guess you already had the book or you were writing the book, but to create an actual showcase of what the movie's going to be like by having- yeah, I don't animatic... I don't have a book for this this one. Oh, you don't have it? Sorry, you, yeah, no. you said that. So by having an animatic- Because it could only be done as a musical. The outline, some of the music, so that when somebody, when you're pitching it and somebody consumes it, they are already like kind of in the film, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So what is the secret sauce to get? Because there are so many people pitching all the time. Various, various things like yeah what is the what is the kicker that got yours the attention that um got it to where it is now like why why this one so the owner of steamroller is uh, a friend like i met him at i met him back in 2013 at an animation expo at the ctnx animation expo uh, I had nothing to gain from him. He had nothing to gain from me. We just started talking for some reason, had a wonderful conversation. I actually have the email that I sent him to follow up after CTNX. And it says, you are my favorite like conversation of, of all the CTNX. And I don't know why. <laughs> I can't remember exactly. But I, I think I do know why, because I've been interacting with him a lot the past you know, month, few months. And he's amazing. Mm-hmm. He's, just, he's just remarkable. And... Uh, and I, I guess he, in his mind, thought, I'm going to hire that guy someday. <laughs> and now you're making a feature film. 
So, Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was based on a relationship that I had no idea would get me anything. So if you, if you didn't have this relationship, what was your plan for the next? Cause it's, cause like your plan for this year is to make seven more pitches. Um, uh-huh. I guess you're still doing that. <laughs> I don't know. But like, what is your, what is your philosophy of how I become a director? Cause it seems like from an outside perspective, like my perspective, it's like, I'm just going to keep creating new ideas and pitching and making connection until something hits. Yeah. So, but why not take one really strong idea and develop it versus, because, you know, you hear the advice where it's like, you really have to believe in it. And if you have too many, it might seem like you're flip-flopping around a little Uh, bit. And I'm sure you've heard all that, right? So like, Uh why, why is this your strategy? And I guess philosophy for achieving your dreams. (sighs) That's a good question. (laughs) I would think it'd be fairly obvious from watching the directing animation live cast that I host. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we can talk about that too. <laughs> you go watch every episode and then you'll figure out my strategy. <laughs> you've hidden, you've hidden it in, in, <laughs> in plain sight. <laughs> um, well, the, the live cast is part of the strategy, right? It's part of the same reason you started your podcast is you wanted to learn about animation. I wanted to learn about directing. And so I thought what better way than to bring in producers or directors or different piece people in, in the, different levels of the team and figure out how I can be a good director to them. Cause, cause directing is really, it's like a teaching role and not everybody can teach. Like not everybody's a good teacher. And so I, I do think that teaching is very important. Like you have to have a passion for teaching and teaching is like this. You're going to take this Terry Ibel, right? Is that how you pronounce your last name? Ibel. Ibel yeah. <laughs> so Terry Ibel has, these talents in stop motion animation. Now I, as the director, am going to help Terry become twice as good as he would be alone, right? And so directing, like I think it was Ed Catmull in Creativity Inc. or, or in some interview I listened to him who said that most people, like he, he feels like directing talent is rare. And he said that most people, even people who work a lot with the directors very closely don't realize what it takes to be a good director. And so that's why I'm like, that's a, that's a tough question. Cause I don't, I think teacher would be a big thing. Like you want to be a teacher, but I think you also have to be a visionary in a way. Cause you're not just saying, okay, Terry, come up with a, pro- a project and let's make that project great. It's like, no, Terry, we have a whole vision and we're going to steer like hundreds of people toward achieving that vision. It's a very expensive hobby, right? Yeah. Um, in Pete Doctor's recent podcast on the Bancroft Brothers, he said that this is a very expensive way to express yourself. You know, <laughs> and so to him, filmmaking is not about self-expression. It's not about the story you want to tell. It's about what the audience needs and and will enjoy. And uh, so, yeah, I, I just keep picking up little things along the way that that help me realize, like, okay, this is what it's going to take to be a good director. I mean, uh, that that was all pretty uh, good advice. And I like how you said about the teaching thing. I'm wondering why do you, um, why have you created multiple pitches instead of just focusing on- Oh, the- oh, your question's about that. <laughs> well, because Vanishing Inc, like there's so much to learn from that. Yeah. Like Cirque de Solitude is twice the book that Vanishing Inc was, right? So that's part of it. 
That's so you part keep of improving the, every time. Yeah, I keep improving with each pitch. Um, so my, you're not trying my to My wife finished the new book, the, the red blurry book <laughs> last night. And uh, she was just, she was sitting in our bed and she was just in awe. She was like, this is amazing. This is amazing. She's like, this really is your best work. <laughs> you know? Nice. So that was cool. You know, it's, it's got a lot of work to do before it's done. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so each one has gotten better. Um, the other thing is I have so many stories to tell. Like these, these five next pictures actually came from 50 ideas that I've been writing mm -hmm. down. So, and then I had, I, I narrowed them down to like, I think these are the 12 most viable commercially. And then I had people vote them down to five, right? Okay. Nice. So um, part of that is just like, I have so many stories to tell. I mean, that's, that's fair. And, and like you said, you are a storyteller at heart and that's why you've, you've chosen this. I was going to ask yeah. you what made you kind of discover that, but I guess that's, that's the answer. So let's, let's talk about, okay, you're on the <laughs> path right now to direct a feature, which is like a big goal of yours. Yeah. What is success for you personally in this school? Like you're going to do it. Um, but what would be success in doing it? Would it be that, you know, a million people see it, that it's, leads to the next directing job that you tell your story like what what is that thing that you're gonna walk away and go to bed and feel proud about um i feel proud that we finished the movie and that it makes enough money to say it was successful enough right um <laughs> so, so like turns a profit I guess. yeah we want it to turn some kind of profit but no pretty good profit i would hope for the sake of the <laughs> investors and all the people involved right but of course, my internal goal is I'm making it like the day to day is like, how do I make this the best thing it can possibly be? Right. But yeah. then I want to set my end expectation a little low so that, so that I'm happy when it's done. I also think. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a big, a good, big component of, in enjoying the journey. Like, I don't think that I'll feel any different when I finish the film as it did working on it. Um, especially because I've done this many projects beginning yeah. to end. Yeah. Like it's weird. It's weird when I, like some days, like the reward of Cirque de Solitude or Vanishing It came at random times. Like when I just pick up the book and suddenly I'm like, wow, like I did this, you know? Yeah. And, and I feel just this euphoric rush, but it doesn't come when I expected it to. Isn't it strange how that happens? Like sometimes yeah. for me, when I finish a project, I have like a, I have like this swelling feeling up until the moment I finish it and then it's gone and it's deflated. And I'm like, right, right. And you're like, what? I expected, I, I thought expected I was going to gonna be feeling amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then it's just yeah. like, cool. Now I'm just sitting in my apartment and it's dinner time, I guess, <laughs> or whatever. Well, and Hayao, Hayao Miyazaki is one of my luminaries. And he, when he was asked, why did you make so many films? He said, well, every new film is to get rid of the curse of the last film. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause he looks back on it and there are all these things he thought could have been improved and whatnot. And then we look at him and we're like, wow, he's Miyazaki, you know? Yeah, yeah. But um, another reward that happened recently, which was really cool is my fourth grade teacher. Um, I did very bad in fourth grade. Like I had really good grades. Like my, my parents thought I was a genius as a kid. And then I moved to this, this uh, other school district that was far ahead of the one that I had been in. And I thought that I could just put in the same amount of effort and still get really good grades. And I wasn't getting good grades, but this teacher was really cool because she kept having, she kept saying, Oh, he's really good at theater. Oh, he's really good at drawing. 
oh, he wants to write a book. And I actually wrote a, a book in fourth grade about this girl with blue hair and she turns into a river. And, um, <laughs> and so she just kept encouraging that. And in my yearbook, she wrote, someday I'll read your books and watch your movies. Aww. And so two weeks ago, um, we met in masks <laughs> down in the- You in still the keep in touch with your fourth grade teacher. I found her. I tracked her down. You tracked her down. Yeah. I and tracked you're her like, down. Guess what? Yeah. And I'm like, here are my books. I just gave them to her, right? Did she remember you? Yeah. That's incredible. Also, um, yeah. when you were talking about grades in like third and fourth grade, <laughs> I I don't even know what grades were at that point. <laughs> I like, knew because my parents, every parent teacher conference, they'd take me out in the hallway and they'd be like, What's wrong? What is happening? What's going on? And they were trying to figure it out. Oh my goodness. Like in, in first through third grade, my teachers were like, this kid is a genius and we can't teach him fast enough. Sorry. And I don't think I'm a genius. Fair, <laughs> That's fair. just what they No, I, I, I gotcha. But, um, and they were like giving me extra homework and and actually that's when I did my first um, theater production. I did the, I was the boy who cried wolf. And I, uh, I fell off the playground and, and broke my jaw, not broke my jaw, but really hurt my jaw. And the, still, the show still had to go on. I still did the show. And same with my senior year. In my senior year, I actually split and got stitches for oh our final God. show, my, our final musical review. And I was like the center of many things because I was one of the most prominent seniors. And yeah, I fell and split my chin open and blood was everywhere. <laughs> and I still did it. I still did the show. <laughs> I mean, the show must go on, right? Also, I find it just kind of a nice wrap up of your career that you got in touch with your fourth grade teacher to be like, I still remember that thing you wrote and here's some <laughs> books you can read. And soon you'll invite her to the premiere of the movie. So oh, the, the movie, the musical fantasy, the musical fantasy movie. <laughs> um, so like thinking about your career. So, you know, you start off in musical theater, decided you're going to do a switch up. Uh, you had a kid, went to animation mentors uh, school, uh, you know, had a, got a job, had a hard time, had to move in with your in-laws, got another job, had to quit that because you needed a contract for a year so you could go to school. Then you meet these random people who kind of change your life a little bit and yeah. slowly in different terms. And it actually ends up where you're doing freelance and pursuing becoming a movie director, which you're on the cusp of being right now. Looking back and reflecting, like what is the biggest thing you've kind of learned about yourself because you know at the start you said you were you were foolish and just kind of doing things and you had a dream and now I think it's good to be foolish <laughs> <laughs> so like reflecting maybe you can just you reflect start. like what are your thoughts on just reflecting on all that stuff I really think that story of me falling and, and hurting my jaw and the boy who cried wolf I didn't realize this till I posted on LinkedIn about those seven pitches I'm releasing this year right one's the book the others this musical that is um greenlit and then there's five more film ideas that, uh, that I'll be releasing posters and essays for. But um, I, so I post that on LinkedIn and this tons of other directors reached out and they're like, I wanna connect with you, let's talk. And <laughs> it's just very interesting. That, that was an interesting LinkedIn post. It, it wow. is one of my most impactful I've ever had. And uh, so I, I met with all these people who wanted to meet with me and we had conversations. And that's when I realized that this story of me falling and breaking my jaw is one of the most defining stories of my life because it's happened over and over again. Like I have fallen, I won't even go into one story which would take me tons of time to tell. It's more of a personal spiritual story, but there was, 
a time where, um, oh yeah, I don't, I can't think of a harder time I've ever had in my life. And it was just like that. I, I pretty much fell and broke my jaw and had to, had to have the show go on still somehow. And uh, yeah, I, I think that that has been the big thing. Wow. I, it's like, I'm... you have to have something that keeps you going no matter what happens to you. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So what is that? So you've, you've realized that there's this spirit in you that keeps going no matter what. Yeah. And where, where does that, what does that thing say to you? Like, does it say achieve your dreams no matter what, keep going on where you're doing no matter what? Like, what is the, what is the end goal overall? The end goal is just to live my life to its full potential, right? Yeah. In, in all of the facets. So um, I want to be healthy. I want to be, have a family and I want to have, um, I want to be good to people. I want to, I want to treat people well. And, and each interaction I have with somebody, I'd like that interaction to be positive, you know, and, and not negative. I'm positive in a significant way. And I think that's hard. I think you have to really be paying attention and stuff. So I think if filmmaking can make me a better person, then it's it's a good endeavor. And if it can't, then it's not. <laughs> I've never heard that actually before. I really like what you just said there. It's like, uh, maybe in like a summary Cole's notes thing, it's like, if you choose a career that makes you a good person, I guess, a better person. Yeah. Is that, would that be correct? That would be correct, yeah. Because this so, industry is hard and it's like- It is. And a lot of times that that thing inside of me that is so ambitious, has been so frustrated. Like, why can't I ever make it to Disney? And actually I did, I do have friends at Disney who are like, come join us for Frozen 2. You could do a running show contract and stuff. So the opportunity has kind of been there. Yeah. But the more that I've been on this road that I feel like, I almost feel like guided to do, not almost, I feel guided to do the stuff I've been doing. It's like, uh, yeah, I could go to Disney or I could, I could, finish writing this blurry red book. <laughs> that I will feel be, that. I feel that. Will be someday, someday the, the name will be announced. <laughs> It'll be wow. on my website someday. <laughs> you can go see it. It's blurry and it's got a V on it. Um, <laughs> like squint my eyes and maybe they'll get in focus. So yeah. um, was it always like that? Because like I'm pretty still, I'm pretty new into my animation career and there's like a lot of stress. Uh, it's a lot of hours and like figuring things out and like anxiety sometimes. And I've let some relationships ships slide because I'm not focusing on them. Mm. Um, so like, I would say I'm still learning how to be myself in this new career path because I am going so hard that I'm at the start. Like I, I feel like, so I already have like a business degree from a long time ago and, and pursued a business career. And I feel like I'm back at the start of doing that where I'm like solely like, 100% focused on getting in the industry. And then once I'm in, yeah. it's, it's a little bit more smooth sailing. But I feel like at this point in my life, I shouldn't be doing that <laughs> all over again. So I'm wondering, uh, did you go through a period where, you know, it wasn't making you a better person in the in the ways that you just described and you had to reach this? Yeah, I think the period that's most like that is the period where I was doing full-time work and animation mentor full-time. Yeah. And I just didn't have the emotional bandwidth to provide for my wife's needs and my child's needs. And I guess I provided for their physical needs. It was more the emotional needs. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just fortunate I have an amazing wife 
to just Yeah. I I don't know. I don't have the words for it. <laughs> like, that's fine. That's perfect. Um, you don't need words. She's just remarkable. And you know, she 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 fought for me when I couldn't fight for me, right? And it never got to the point where it's like, oh, we have to go do this deep rejuvenation of our marriage. But it was nice when I wasn't in full-time you know, school and work and we could spend time together again. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then I could discover what she went through because she kind of she kind of tried to bear it on her own, yeah, for quite a while, and yeah, it's it's not it's not fair. <laughs> yeah, no, I I I feel that I uh, went through something similar with my partner when we when I decided to go back to school. I basically disrupted our whole lifestyle uh -huh. on like on kind of like my terms almost. Um, I was like, yeah. no, I need to do this. It's it's getting done. We're doing this anyways, and yeah. So, and she was fully supportive the whole time. Like yeah. I, there wasn't any. I, I thought we were both doing what we should be doing, right? Now, now looking back, I, I do realize that, so at Animation Mentor, they said, you have to put in this amount of time to get this quality of work. And I'm actually somebody who can put in a little less work and get higher quality faster. Every, like, every studio I was at, I realized that if I work overtime, I slow down. So I learned how to, to manage my energy in a way that in the amount of time they give me, I can do, I was one of the highest, um, producers of animation in in most of the teams I was on with the exception of that first one the Alvin one but the other ones uh, because I had that level of discipline and I and focus and I could understand how my energy works and and I chose not to do overtime so what is I guess maybe as as like one of my last questions I'm just curious what your life looks like right now mm -hmm. so obviously you're uh do, directing a like planning to direct a movie but leading up to that are you you're working freelance. Are you working like a full-time schedule, including all these pitches that you're developing? Because it sounds like you're doing a lot, like you're running a podcast. <laughs> I, I, know, I know what it's like. I'm doing a lot at the same time. But you're running a podcast, or a live cast. You're yeah. uh, developing pitches. You're pitching. You're working. You're, you have a family. Like, yeah. I'm trying to get, get some muscle. <laughs> you're trying to get some muscle. I've always been so skinny. Like this is, my arm's like twice as big as it used to be <laughs> right now. So, um, yeah, I... Every, lots of people ask me that and I'm not quite sure. I feel you. Okay. I, I got you. I have, I, feel I do that think, as well. I do think that it's not fair. It's not fair for people. And I've done this too, where I compare myself to somebody. I'm like, how do they do all that? Like my brother-in-law, I wonder how he gets everything done. He gets done. And uh, so it almost feels like he's a higher producer than I am. Yeah. So um, I don't think it's fair to compare ourselves. I think you just need to, to, to enjoy the journey, right? Figure out what works for you and and where you can find that sweet spot where you're not working too hard but you're working hard enough and then just try to live in that you know and and don't don't kill yourself over your dream because <laughs> it's because your dream wasn't to kill yourself right yeah oh, your dream oh. your dream would be to be a stop-motion animator Something like that. You can I already live that dream you can pull I'm already living that dream. some clay and yeah you know you don't have to be it like it to to live your dream i've i mean so, i used i used to think that my my dream has kind of changed and it's more along the lines of to be proud of the creativity i'm exporting out of myself and mm. and that changes format like for instance like i'm also pitching around an original show idea mm -hmm. i'm doing some 
freelance projects in stop motion, et cetera. So, yeah. And I've, I've also written a novel and a whole bunch of other stuff. So it, it takes different forms, but as I've realized that animation and stop motion is, is the most complete thing for me to experience that. So, yeah. Cool. As we are wrapping up, is there anything you wanted to share or advice of people who have listened to this and they're like, I want to get into pitching films and becoming a director. Um, also, you don't have to pitch a film to become a director. So that's an interesting path in, its, in itself, I guess. Um, oh yeah, that pathway, you're usually a story artist at a studio or sometimes an animator. It's more common to be a story artist at a studio. You work your way up the ranks and they're like, we need a director. I think you'd be good at it, right? And uh, you know, I've interviewed several directors that are in that that circumstance. And are you are you trying to hack? Uh, hack is the wrong word, but like jump ahead with this pitching strategy, or is this just the way yeah. that you want to do it? I actually was. Um, I did interview to to direct animation on SpongeBob SpongeBob Camp Coral back in November. But you turned it down because I did not turn it down. You did not get it. I interviewed for it, and I thought this could be very valuable experience. It could t teach me uh, team interaction and, and some things within yeah. the industry because I had it with that creative division at Funded Today. But I, I wanted to get it more in like the animation zone. Hmm. Um, and a more experienced director came along and got it, Fair. which is it's great. I met the guy; he's amazing. We networked after, right? I was like, that's, good job. That's really cool that you got to the possibility of, of directing. That's well, and I, I just looked at it as this is a sign of things to come, right? And actually, when I was interviewing it, I was hoping in the back of my mind, I hope this thing works out with my musical fantasy pitch. Like, I hope that that, that actually is the thing that, that takes. So far, it looks like it's possible, but I, I, I will give a disclaimer. Like, it's not like I'm at Pixar and they've said, okay, you have... You have, you know, Cirque du Solitude is now going to be our next feature film and you're directing it. This one still has several things like several business things to figure out and details and financing and all that stuff to figure out. But I couldn't have picked a better partner to figure it out with. Nice. And uh, he's at a stage right now where lots of people are reaching out to him and wanting him to do work. And he's only committed to a couple people. So I really feel fortunate about that. That's really right. Because cool. he, he doesn't have enough bandwidth to work with everybody. Yeah. And uh, so that's a very fortunate position to be in. Something that could happen is this project could fall through, right? And uh, I'm not planning on that happening. And I'm planning on finding a way if it does, right? Well, and you but, have seven more pitches you're developing this year if it does anyway. So I, I really hope it doesn't fall through because this sounds like an amazing experience. Even, even with all those pitches, to me, that's the one I care the most about. Yeah. Like if I got to direct one film, that would be it. Nice. And there are tons of other producers out there. Um, I'm hoping it's the one that I'm currently talking with because he's just, he's remarkable. I don't, I don't know many other people like him in the industry. So yeah. So what would my advice be to people listening? Um, something I did keep wanting to say, like my, my journey is so unorthodox, unorthodox. That's like a religious term. <laughs> my, it's so like outside of the norm, right? Yeah. Um, it's okay to go and do the norm and, and I think you should, if that's really your dream. And there are some people who dream on working at Disney and they get there and they love it. You should, you should just do that if that's what you wanna do. Um, if that's not what you wanna do, I think it is good to stay flexible, to say, okay, it's okay, I didn't make it to Pixar, but maybe I can make something else. Or 
like I did at Weber State, it's okay that I'm not at Moonbot yet. And and actually, the reason I actually did interview at Moonbot as I was starting to create these new things. And uh, I think they didn't hire me at that point. So that was another one where it's like, okay, I can't be at Moonbot. So I just started creating stuff that would be Moonbot-like, right? Yeah. And then that got their attention enough that they're like, okay, now we really do want to hire you. We want to get your energy down here. Um, so I, I do think that it's good to be flexible. It's good to learn um, that a positive, I think a positive attitude isn't just like telling myself I'm going to be positive. It's, it's about learning to look at your current circumstances, finding what you can be grateful for, and then just trying to use what you have right now to, to its most power and capacity, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're an unemployed guy working out of your in-laws basement, well, be the best unemployed guy working from, or girl working from your, your in-laws basement that you can be. <laughs> So famous last words right there. No, I like that. I like that sentiment a lot. And it, it, I think you're right. It really is down to what do you have in front of you and how can you, how can you turn it into something positive and, and uh, that makes something more out of what you have, I guess. And I also really liked about what you said, if you don't get that job at whatever studio, start making stuff that's whatever studio like, because yeah. uh, nothing's restricting you. From well, that's how you that. would get the job anyway. Yeah. You're not going to do pinups of women that aren't clothed and expect to get a job at actually maybe you could but you know you want to put in your portfolio the kind of work that that studio yeah, would want yeah. you to be doing right totally. so yeah just and it's it's okay that you draw what you like to draw you know in your spare time um but when you're when you're gearing a portfolio together you want to send the portfolio like the kind of work that that, that studio does cool is there anything else that you wanted to uh share in our final <laughs> final moments um there was a, a thought so i i've had a lot of people this week coming to me and it's on the same line of thought of like break your jaw and keep moving forward you know that kind of stuff and i've had a lot of people coming to me for like let's i have i want to talk about this hard thing i'm going through and over and over this book man's search for happiness is that what it's called it's by victor frankel i always botch the name of the book but uh, it's man's search for meaning. For meaning, which is even more important. I think we're so backwards in our society where we're like, I want to be happy, right? Happiness is the ultimate thing. Everybody says that, right? But happiness is not actually a very good goal because it's momentary, it's fleeting. Um, meaning is, is a better goal. Viktor Frankl was in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. And he watched friends of his who were Jews who were suppressed and not suppressed but like you know well they were suppressed in a way but they were like going to be killed like they were tortured they were all kinds of horrible things were done to them by the nazis and some of his friends as they were going to their death became bitter and hated the nazis and could only focus on the negative that was going on around them and he had to learn how to flourish he actually became a better person by going through nazi germany it's like, how do you do that? And a lot of it was like a, a saying that I quoted my friend the other day is the only thing, no, the, the only thing you cannot take away from me is my, I'm going to botch his quote. This isn't exact, but the only thing you can take away, from, cannot take away from me is my ability to decide how I will feel and react about what's going on or what you do to me. 
So he still has the ability to change to to choose his attitude about what's going on. And over and over that has come up. I even had a guy who he's like, I hate, I hate this stuff I'm doing right now. Like, but I I it's it's really fulfilling. And and but like I hate it. How do I get over hating it? And I said, Well, you actually should just embrace the fact that it's gonna be hard. And that's yeah. part of the process, right? Yeah. That's so happiness true. is less important than meaning. Leaving a life that's meaningful is much more important. I totally agree. I've heard I've heard this story before. It's uh it's a very impactful one. Um, I just looked up the quote and uh, I just thought I would say it. Yeah, let's say say the actual quote. Not botched by one. <laughs> You're very close, and it's the same sentiment. <laughs> the one thing you cannot take away from me is the way I choose to respond to what you do to me. The last, um, the last of one's freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. Right. Yeah. And can you imagine what he had done if he just felt like a victim? Yeah. The whole time. And if he just blamed the Nazis and stuff, we would never have the great writings of Viktor Frankl. I wouldn't even know who Viktor Frankl was, right? And yet this this Jew who lived years and years ago, that almost sounds derogatory to say that, but he was a great Jew. I love Jews. <laughs> um, he, he lived many, many years ago under Nazi Germany. Like he's impacted my life because he learned about the importance of meaning over happiness. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, thank you for uh, sharing your journey and your thoughts and and uh, this incredible wisdom at the end. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me on here. I hope it helps at least one person. I, well, it's if that one person is you, so, then it was worth it. it. <laughs> honestly, every one of these chats helps me in a different way. So great. Uh, I'm still very grateful to do this every single week. <laughs> yeah, it's helped me too. It's helped me yeah. too. It's good to reflect. Cool. And if you're listening and you want to, you know, follow Scott's work or get in touch or see some of his short films, you can check out his YouTube channel his website or his Instagram and his Instagram is Scott K. Weiser, but I'm going to include uh, all the links to this in the description of this chat. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Okay. Bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.